Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Linder. Today we have community chat number two. Uh, we had a great time uh, getting on the Discord server and just kind of going. We had some outline of topics and we just went with where the conversation took us. So it, it was a real fun time. We talk about Lightning Network, Satoshi Roundtable, the uh, inflation slash small block non-debate that's not really happening in Bitcoin right now. But we talk about that. And uh, we just have a good time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, I link to all the participants in the show notes. So if you want to get a hold of them or anything, you can do that through those links. Um, if you listeners, if you want to support the show, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. There's all sorts of free ways to support the show. Uh, you can donate Bitcoin uh, through PayPal. You can join the Patreon and get ad-free shows and extra content and stuff. Uh, so lots of ways to support the show, and I appreciate everybody that does support the show. It means a whole hell of a lot to me, so thank you so much. Let's get on to the show. So yeah, what Brady, what were you saying about jack and the cash app yeah i was just saying wow like i think it was a really big week for bitcoin this week um i i think the the lightning torch being passed to jack which you know shout out to matt odell that's was just a kind of a genius move there to uh call out jack on twitter um and if you listen to stefan lavera's podcast today with jack and elizabeth uh, stark uh, starkness stark at starkness on twitter um he he said he had a they, they've got a few lightning nodes that are running at square and uh there's a there's a guy on his team that is sort of tasked with keeping jack up to date about what's going on in in bitcoin world and this guy uh went over to to jack and said hey this you've been you've been called on twitter and and you should check this out and so jack went over and and um, you know, got the lightning, like got the invoice set up, and within like I don't know, forty-five or fifty minutes of Matt's tweet, um, responds just with with the uh, the lightning invoice, and then proceeds for like three or four hours to just like hold forth on Twitter, uh, and you know, basically reveal his Bitcoin maximalist tendencies. <laughs> you know, he only holds Bitcoin and. He loves the idea of lightning tipping on Twitter, and then there's an article that comes out today that says it's uh, Jack was quoted as saying it's not a matter of if, uh, but when that uh, that lightning will be added to the Cash App, which is huge because it's it's got massive reach, um, consumer reach, and merchant reach in the United States. Um, so I, I just think this is incredibly bullish for for Bitcoin to have. Um, the CEO of Twitter and Square, two huge tech companies and very influential tech companies in the United States and and around the world, um, to really just basically say Bitcoin is has the best chance of becoming the internet's native currency, and we're going we're we're all in on it basically. Uh, so I think it was just a huge week for Bitcoin, and, and we'll look back and and maybe we'll say that this was the start of of the next run, perhaps. Um, but fundamentally, this is huge. I agree. I listened to that uh, podcast and I mean, 
just the way he, um, Jack described, you know, coming up in St. Louis and uh, being tapped in with the cypherpunks way back. Even I think he he kind of alluded that it was before Bitcoin, and because he saw Bitcoin right away. I don't remember what the exact quote is, but he was like, "I saw it right away." Uh, so he was, um, he's been in it from the beginning, and yeah, I think he is kind of what Bitcoin needs right now. So. Even though he does have the controversy with the First Amendment stuff, um, I mean, I think Twitter. My personal belief is that Twitter was is kind of the best out of all of the social medias because, like, for the Alex Jones thing, he was the last one, or Twitter was the last one to get shut down, uh, or Alex Jones to get shut down on. So um, it, it's, I don't know. There's there's a little bit a controversy in there, but yeah, I think that this is really really big for Bitcoin. Should yeah, we, I, uh, sorry. Oh yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to respond to to what you were saying about the uh, the kind of criticism that that Twitter has received and Jack has received on the First Amendment stuff, which I totally agree with is is warranted and it's a tough problem and needs to be figured out. Uh, there's definitely some inconsistencies there, and it seems that whoever is enforcing those rules over at Twitter have, have, you know, has a, a left bias or, or leaning. Um, and there's plenty of examples to kind of prove that out. So, yeah, I think that that's something that needs to be dealt with, but, you know, as far as, as, uh, his advocacy for Bitcoin, I think it's, you know, it'll be, um, it'll be a huge asset for, for Bitcoin's adoption and awareness over the next, you know, many years into the future. So it's good for Bitcoin. Yeah, that was a great summary too, Brady, and uh, just makes me think you you said that it was like forty five minutes for him to respond. Like, how cool yeah. is that? That uh, and it and it worked, right? Like, it there wasn't a failure. It uh, he was successfully yeah. able to do it. Yeah, Matt, Matt O'Dell was. Uh, they've had he and Marty Bent have had a, a one rabbit hole recap episode. I think last Friday since that happened and matt kind of gave his little uh summary of what he was experiencing and, and he he said that like he was so nervous extremely nervous that you know there was going to be a failure and you have to like post on twitter hey can you resend that invoice please jack um but it but it worked and and it just yeah it was just a, it was a great moment it's one i think it's going to be a you know it's it's a big moment in bitcoin history kind of thing it's one of those things that'll stand out it'll get it'll it'll make it's it'll have a spot on you know, Bitcoin history timelines and, and things like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of the reverse of like a rage quit, you know? Um, yeah. I think yeah. it's a pretty big, pretty big moment. I think the fact that the uh, lightning addresses fit into a, a tweet is an interesting uh, kind of side idea, like public, you know, invoicing or something. I think there's something there as far as just publicly, uh, publishing these invoice addresses i don't know what do you think yeah you know they didn't they wouldn't have fit um before with the 140 character limit and there were people kind of joking around on twitter that there was sort of this conspiracy or whatever this plan that uh one of the reasons why um you know the the limit was expanded was because of lightning invoices <laughs> um and yeah, they do to kind of just barely fit with the few characters left to spare and the 280 new 280 limit. Yeah, and another interesting thing is that uh, 
right around the time when we were getting SegWit, uh, or at least when it was being tested before it came out on Bitcoin, Twitter segregated their witnesses as well. So they don't count, they didn't count the ats, you know, in the, at the beginning to the replies. Um, so it's just interesting, kind of mirrors that whole thing. I don't know. Um, have you been following this kind of like discussion, you know, in different places where there is, there's this idea of using Bitcoin test net as like some kind of secure communication infrastructure. And I'd be kind of interesting, interested in seeing if, what if you could embed lightning addresses inside of the Bitcoin test net? Like, uh, I don't know. I think there's something there as far as like using Bitcoin test net as this kind of like secure infrastructure for possibly transmitting. It, it might sound kind of crazy, but I think there's something there as far as like um, secure communication and transmitting uh, lightning invoice addresses using actually the Bitcoin test net. I don't know. It might sound kind of crazy, but I know they've, they've done stuff like that. Um, the Chris Rose was building, gosh, what was the name of it? A drop zone. And yeah, they were using the test net f for messaging. And uh, the, the only problem is it's not like really reliable. And like they have a lot, a lot of problems with test net where people will just, stop mining it for a couple days and no blocks will come through and then they will run, be running a test and they'll mine like a hundred blocks in in a couple hours or something so it's not really reliable but yeah it, it's it's a possibility just like uh just some sort of decentralized messaging but i think that's that is kind of solved at least with like signal and other encrypted messaging and and the satellite thing now too so maybe you could post some links to that information i'd like to uh check out sure. some of that stuff thanks sure. okay uh, any other anybody else want to talk about the twitter lightning torch did you guys listen to coin icarus's podcast i actually got to listen to it before this yeah i gave it a listen uh, I, I thought it was good um it's a good interview with, with Huddle Knot. Uh, one of the things I found interesting that I like the idea of what this is doing is how it gradually increases the uh, the transaction value. So it, it really is providing a stress test at some point for for how much capacity can be transmitted on the network. It, it will it will push the boundaries of that as as it moves forward. Yeah, for sure. I I saw somebody talking about uh, was it Mister Huddle uh, saying that this is basically a i don't know what word he used but yeah it was a test of all the channels to see how much you had in there <laughs> the liquidity of the network yeah it's getting up there i actually had the torch on friday night a few nights ago cool and yeah it was cool and it, i was right on the uh three million satoshis line um so that's you know that's getting up there i I, there is an upper limit. I think there's like a hard coded limit. Like there's a there's a limit to the channel sizes, and I th so I think there's a limit to the um, since we don't have atomic multipath payments yet. Meaning we can only you can only use one channel at a time to route a payment. So you have to have at least one channel 
if you're receiving a payment, you have to have an incoming liquidity channel that has at least that much um, in value. And same for the outgoing liquidity when you're sending a payment. So that creates a, a limit for the the as big as a payment can get. So whatever the channel size limit is, and I can't remember what it is right now, uh, will be the upper limit of a payment. Um, so we'll, I think Hodlinot's plan is to... Um, if we can get to that limit and like achieve a full stress test of like, hey, we've actually sent or routed through a payment um, through multiple channels uh, at, at the upper limit, then it'll be, the funds will be donated to uh, BTC Ven at BTC Ven on Twitter, BTC Venezuela, which does which is doing good work, kind of on the ground on the front lines in Venezuela, um, spreading the Bitcoin message. Yeah, I love how it's. Um this type of stuff like just the venezuela donation at the end um is so bitcoin like nobody has to direct that we you know it's it's users that want to help other users there's no pr department behind it and it just feels very bitcoin to me and so this whole thing felt very bitcoin for sure yeah it's organic ground up uh you know no plan um and it's just sort of taken on a life of its own. It's it's very it's very Bitcoin, very internet. It's it's pretty great. Yeah. So yeah. I'll I'll actually be I I think uh, Cornicarus did a great job on on his podcast interview um, with Hodlin, and I'm going to be talking to him on Wednesday morning, so uh, about a day and a half from now. And that evening, I'll I'll publish an interview uh, with him as well on the Citizen Bitcoin podcast. So that's cool. going to be fun. Yeah. DT, did you have something? Actually, one other thing I was thinking was the uh, what uh, Matt O'Dell was saying about how it's amazing how just a bunch of people spending 30 cent transactions was able to uh, get that kind of attention, like what Brady was saying, that this huge deal, getting Jack Dorsey commenting on it. I mean, that was better than a Super Bowl ad, I think is how he put it. <laughs> we, mm -hmm. yeah. It, yeah. It, was, it was so cheap and you know, genuine. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Hey, it's maybe than can... any of those those Ripple uh, press releases. You know, <laughs> we, we don't need that kind of stuff for Bitcoin. Yeah, if Tron. <laughs> if you don't mind, could you uh, discuss, for instance? I mean, I looked at Lightning a while back, and like at the time, I don't even think I could get it to compile, and so maybe. Uh, if somebody with more experience can discuss how to dis how to support Lightning, how to like download it or compile it, and like how are, how how can the average person like contribute to supporting Lightning Network? Does anybody have any information on that? Yeah, yeah, I can take a stab at that. Um, so there's a lot of sort of plug and play. Bitcoin and Lightning nodes, hardware nodes that are available now. So Casa has one. Casa Hodl is the name of the company. Um, Casa.store, I think, is the place where you can buy one of those. And then Nodl, N-O-D-L, Nodl.it, Nodlit um, is the site. Uh, and there's, I think there's a couple others too, like Lightning in a Box, I think is another one. So I have a Casa node and it's... Um, it's really nice. There's a there's a nice web UI uh, for the node, so I can I just type in casa-node.local when I'm on my home Wi-Fi network, or I can VPN 
into my Wi-Fi network. Um, you set up a VPN on your router, which is pretty easy to do. Um, and you can get to your home network from anywhere, and then you can use your, your node uh, from anywhere with the nice web interface that they provide. They've got an extension that's basically like the Jewel extension. Um, and it just kind of it goes up in the top corner of your of your uh, browser, and you can just pop it down and cut, copy and paste things in. Soon it'll be a single-click experience. And then Pierre Rochard also has a great uh, node launcher. It's Pierre Rochard's node launcher. And that's uh, for Mac and uh, Windows desktops, and it makes it basically a single-click install for both. Okay, so it, you don't have to purchase specific hardware. You could run it on a Mac or a PC and you get the same effect? Is it the same thing or? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's the same thing. You get, you get a full Bitcoin node and a Lightning node on your desktop computer. So uh, he's got a great write-up for all that stuff and you should definitely check it out. All right, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the way to go. If you don't want to shell out some money for a, a dedicated box, you know. Yeah, I threw the link in the, sh in the chat there for the node launcher. I think that's the best way to go. Um, yeah, if you don't want to spend the whatever, 300 or 400 bucks, I think, on the Casa. I don't know how much Noddle is. I think it's 300 for the Casa node. I think Noddles are a little bit more. I think they're 400, but they also have a BTC pay server uh, built mm -hmm. in, which is nice. So if you want to run your own uh, e-commerce shop on Lightning, uh, it's it, that's a nice addition. Yeah, and Casa has customer service too. I'm pretty sure. So you can, if you if you do have problems, you can go to their help. Uh, yeah, they know. have a great Telegram channel that's Telegram. like super super responsive. Their email response uh, is very responsive too. And you know they've got a great team uh, of engineers there, and so they're just pumping out updates to all the software all the time. So it just keeps getting better, which is one of the reasons I went with that. I, I uh, I was looking at the noddle as well, um, and I I almost I almost kind of want to get one just to test it out, um, but but yeah the the casa I've been really happy with that with the casa node as well. So, but the but Pierre Pierre Rochard's um, node launcher is amazing. I actually uh, went ahead and set a node up on kind of a, a a really weak Windows box that I have, and it worked. And um, I I turned it off because I don't want two nodes running on my home network uh just for yeah. bandwidth reasons but but yeah i mean i just wanted to see what it was like and it was it was extremely simple um you know and to, to set up and run like it was a few clicks and a couple a uh, few seconds of typing and and uh, there's a great uh write-up that he's put up to so it takes you through the whole thing and he's super responsive on twitter uh you can dm him directly and and he'll help you out if you have any issues so here's here's a question is a uh, lightning node for like just like a personal payment gateway or if when you're running the node are you actually like supporting the network are there other transactions moving through your node like i'm kind of curious about that i just haven't had time to read up on it so could you well it depends if, if you have like one channel open that's lopsided uh you know where all the money is on your side of the channel that means that no payments can really route through you. Uh, but if you have, I don't know, say 10 channels open with your node uh, and they're pretty even on the balance on, on the sides of the channels, 
then um, you can people can route through you. So uh, it depends if if you're more of a power user, definitely you're going to be helping the network just by running your node like that. But if you are, um, you know, just setting up your node and opening one channel, most likely you're not going to really add to the network until you open up several channels. Does that make sense? I got you. So if you wanted to just do like payment and receiving for yourself, say you're running like a business or something, then you would just kind of have one channel to uh, pay and like receive. But if you wanted to support the network, then you would like dedicate more bandwidth. And I mean, I'm curious if people get into trouble with their like internet providers, if they're like burning up a bunch of bandwidth or anything like that. I'm, does anybody so. know about that? No, I, I think yeah, it doesn't, doesn't use a tiny. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't use much bandwidth at all. And like right now, it's a, it's you know it's still early days, um, and so there d- does require kind of some manual uh, management, channel management to to really be uh, in a position to route payments through the network. So you need to have channels in like incoming channels and outgoing channels. So like, like Ansel was saying, you have to kind of get your head around this idea that you have, there's two sides to a channel and you have, let's say like I open a channel with lightning, um, the lightning power users node, which is Pierre's node, right? So I can open a channel with Pierre's node and I would have, let's say 0.1 BTC on my side. So uh, 10 million Satoshis on my side of the channel and zero on the lightning power users side of the channel. That on his on the Pierre's node side, um, and then when I send a payment out, um, I could send anywhere up up to uh, ten million satoshis, and because that's the capacity of that channel, and so I could send out like a million satoshis, and then I would have nine million on my side, and Pierre would have one million on his side, and then if I want to receive payments, I've got to have an incoming liquidity channel open. So one thing that Pierre is doing for people who are installing are using his node launcher is, and in fact, anybody, I think you can just go to his uh, lightning power users website and request a channel, an incoming channel. So you open a channel to him, he'll open a channel to you, and then you can both send and receive payments. Uh, There's, there's definitely improvements coming to the protocol so that in fact, like ethernet was this way in the beginning. Um, You could only go one way. Basically you could send information one direction uh, on the network, like in the loop uh, on the network. There wasn't a bi-directional channel. uh, And that's the way it is now with the Lightning Network. There will be bi-directional channels, I think, in the future. And that'll really make make kind of channel management a lot easier and less kind of of a a mental hurdle to get around. There's also this uh, feature called, uh, what's the name of an Ansel? Autopilot? Yeah, autopilot. Yeah, autopilot, yeah. Yeah, autopilot, which you could just turn on and it will open channels for you. So there are nodes on the network that are um, kind of signed up basically or like offering to uh, create incoming liquidity channels for people and autopilot will just create, like have, it'll create a bunch of channels for you. So you have kind of a balance and and can send things. And that's just going to get better and better. As those algorithms are improved over time, so yeah, I don't think autopilot is released yet. I think it's still testing, but um, like you yeah, can use it now, but it just doesn't work oh. super well. Like it's like you know on the Casa node, the UI has an option to turn it on and off, so it works. Oh. It works on mainnet now, but uh, it's it's not 
it's not awesome. It's not great. I think it'll get really good though. Yeah. So here's a question. The say you have a Casa node. The node itself hosts a Bitcoin wallet that it ties into. Like you, you kind of mentioned there's some limits there. And it sounds like the limit is is how much Bitcoin you load into the node. And that's kind of like so can you explain some of that a little bit? I'm kind of curious. Like, cause I mean, you know, the first question is, is are you like leaving some hot wallet like laying around and you see how there's like some security concerns? So mm-hmm. like how does that work if you don't mind? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So funds on the Lightning Network are basically hot. They're they're on the network um and you know, on, like they're on the internet. They're and your IP address and port is public, so that you can send and receive payments and all that. So they're hot. Uh, they're not cold storage. They're not offline. Um, yes, there's a Bitcoin node uh, on the Casa node, and it, and with Pierre's node launcher, you, you install a full Bitcoin base layer node, and you send Bitcoin to that wallet um, attached to that node, and then and then you can use that Bitcoin to open channels on the Lightning Network, which is basically just a, a transaction on the blockchain um, that says, you know, I've th- this is to open a, a Lightning channel of this capacity, and then the Lightning Network protocol takes over from there and kind of passes that Bitcoin around on the Lightning Network unsettled, and then when you close the channel, uh, it'll settle back to your Bitcoin wallet on the main chain with another with a second closing. Uh, Bitcoin transaction. So, so yeah, th- those funds are hot. I mean, you don't want to. It, it's kind of like having it's it's your kind of walk around money uh, or a checking account, maybe uh, would be a way to describe it. I get. I think it's more akin to having some cash in your wallet, right? So, uh, if you take cash in your wallet out in public, there's a chance that somebody could take it. It's hot. It's out there and available. It's not in a safe somewhere. Uh, so, so yeah, there is a risk, and you you know, it's early days, and you don't want to put a bunch of money on the Light Network right now. Um, so, okay. And so like light is, am I correct? Like there's minimum or zero lightning fees, but obviously like, or, or would like Bitcoin fees apply in a transaction? How does the uh, fees, what's the fee structure? You want to take that one Ansel? Yeah, sure. The, so for the opening and closing transaction to open and close a channel, you're going to have on-chain fees for that. But uh, for the lightning transaction and the transactions in the meantime, um, you can each node that you route through can set their own fee. Um, it can be a positive, and I think they're even talking about doing negative fees as well. Like if they want to rebalance their channels, they would try to incentivize people to route through them the other way so that they could rebalance their channels. But uh, on average, I would say it's it's almost zero probably or one Satoshi, something like that per per hop on the Lightning Network. So it's very, very cheap. And, okay, so say you have a, a multi-channel node that people are passing transactions through. That's like a financial incentive to leave a node open and to yes. let transactions pass through. So you could load some Bitcoin onto a Casa node and then just leave it open. 
for mm-hmm. other people to use and you could actually gain Bitcoin. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, right now it's not very much at all. Um, and you've got to, you know, there's, there is some active management involved. Like you've got to kind of see where activity is happening on the network and, and open channels strategically kind of where, you know, fill, fill gaps and niches and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, like right now I have 11 channels open, kind of a mix of incoming and outgoing. And, and I've seen some routing activity through my node, very, very little, but I've seen some, which is pretty cool. Um, and what did, a, guy, a guy to follow on Twitter is Alex Bosworth because he talks a lot about how he uh, kind of manages channels and and, and uh, he he makes I mean he makes some money like actual like Bitcoin that's not like it's not uh, trivial uh, by by routing so he's the guy behind yalls.org the uh, micropayments for content site yeah he's a pretty high level Lightning developer too so he's yeah he, it, it takes a lot of expertise at this time but nick batia he's talked about um the lightning reference rate and um that would be you know what you could earn passively and cryptographically secured so almost zero risk right um by running a a node Uh, and i think he figured out alex bosworth was making like three tenths of a percent per year or something like that. I mean, yeah. right now it's it's very small, uh, but hey, that's this is a fixed supply currency, and you can make, you know, in the future maybe half a percent a year off of adding liquidity to the Lightning Network. So I think that's uh, that's pretty significant. Yeah. One more question. I don't want to like it, to, you know, but um, okay, so. Are the lightning nodes, like when transactions are hopping through the network, is it like a proximity thing? Like say you're running a node in New York City where the population is dense and there's potentially a lot of nodes in the area, or say you're in the middle of the United States, say in Nebraska where you're running a node where possibly you could you're like the only node in the like area so would it be like the transaction would be forced to like go through your node like you see what i'm saying like i'm trying to get an understanding of how the transactions kind of traverse the network is it like it you see what i'm saying like a transaction coming from florida isn't going to go to california first like, well, it could it could, could. that there's yeah. there's logic behind the lightning network, you know, their algorithms that they're running to find the best route. So um, I, the software, I believe it's set up to find the shortest route to your okay. destination. And uh, that means not like geographically the shortest, but the fewest hops. So you could go through a node, um, you know, in Nepal and then one in Peoria, South Africa. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but that, that's a good point. In the future, um, I think it might you might be more connected locally uh, because, say, you know, 10, 20 years, everybody's using this. Um, you know, you might be, go, you, you would be opening up a channel with like a local business or your buddy or your neighbor. And so 
you might be better connected locally. Uh, so there is maybe in the future, there's something there, but, uh, right now, no, it's, it's, uh, it's anywhere in the world. Yeah. All so right. it's not really a matter of geography. It's just a matter of, you know, channels between nodes and I can open up a channel to any node on the lightning network, no matter where it is in the world. So, um, it's not, it doesn't really, the geography doesn't really matter so much because we're all connected by the internet now. And this is obviously built on top of the internet. So, it's it's all and I put in a link in in the chat actually um, to the async lightning network explorer and it gives a great visualization wow. of all the connections and you can kind of click on a node and see uh, which other nodes it's connected to. So if you like search for in the filter over there, type in citizen lightning or just start typing in citizen, you'll see my node and and you'll see the channels that it's connected to and and different places in the world ge geographically. Nice. Nice. I'll oh, let it go we... with that. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, should we hit another topic here? So that was Lightning Network Trust Chain stuff. Do we, does anybody have any thoughts about Satoshi Roundtable? Because this was kind of a issue over the last week or two. Um, yeah, I'll just open the floor to anybody that has any thoughts on that. Should I recap it? Yeah, do it for sure. Okay. So uh, Bruce Fenton, longtime Bitcoiner, sounds really libertarian anarchist type uh says all the right things but he always seems to be involved in the wrong projects and uh anyway so three years ago uh he started this thing called satoshi's roundtable it was a invite only on like some secluded caribbean island back then and uh it was a bunch of these big wigs from the crypto uh industry got together and uh, out of that one those first two that he had the satoshi's roundtable came the scaling debate and uh you know the i think it was it wasn't like the complete bcash plan but i think it was like uh Cl bitcoin classic came out of one of them and uh, at the end somebody said something i think it was phil potter from bitfinex said uh that at that roundtable he left knowing the network was going to fork with Bcash. So there's like all this crazy stuff that happens there, but it's, it's all closed down. So they have Chatham house rules where you can't say who said what. And um, so it's, it's, I don't know, kind of a New York agreement back room deals going on. It's just very uncomfortable for a lot of Bitcoiners. And they had one, uh, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, and there was some uproar about it again. Every year there's some uproar about it. So I was just wondering if you guys saw anything or thought anything about it. Uh, I did see, I saw one of the topics that came up at that was the idea that uh, adding inflation to Bitcoin was a good idea or even something that's conceivably possible to do at this point or gain consensus for that. You know, we've, we've heard that discussed before that the idea of a hard cap is, is not a good thing. Um, and that we should at some point, you know, that the FUD says that the, the, the fee structure alone won't be enough to support miners and the security won't work. It's like the, it's like the death spiral argument in reverse. But, and, and yeah, that, I, that was the one topic I heard of. There's actually like some respectable, respectably smart people discussing this idea. Uh, yeah, I think it was Wayne. He he. Um, God, what's his first name? 
can't remember now, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a pretty respectable guy and yeah, he brought it up on Twitter and then a bunch of people were commenting on the inflation stuff. And uh, I just think it's, it's good to talk about actually, because, you know, we can display that we will never do anything like that. It gives us an excuse to, you know, be a little toxic. So uh, I think that's a good thing. And, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't like, like I, this would never happen at an open conference where people could identify who was saying what. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting topic. Um, but it's, it's nonsensical to really discuss as something that needs to be done because it's anything that would, would make that something necessary or, or pertinent to do immediately, like is so far down the road. You know, it's it's a we'll cross that bridge when we get to it kind of scenario that we don't. You know, if if it ever really was a problem and and the fee structure was an issue and that's then we could we could figure that out. I'm sure we could, but to talk about it ahead of time or to make a decision like that or to try and get consensus for that on the idea that maybe it'll be a problem just seems ludicrous to me. I don't. Yeah, we're never gonna change the 21 million cap. I don't think that would ever fly. There's nobody who's going to be in support of that. So. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously all economically incentivized to not support that, you know, (laughs) Um, every single user on the network. And, you know, I I think like early Bitcoiners and, and, you know, current Bitcoiners sort of, and, and as you come into Bitcoin, that's one of those things you begin to sort of be, I don't know what's the word, like, um, evangelized about you know like this th- this hard cap is important and here's why it's kind of the austrian economic idea the idea of sound money and um it's it's the opposite of of fiat money you know it, this is this is the reason why bitcoin is the cure to this you know, the illness of fiat um is the, is the hard cap and so no that's not going to go away yes it's something i i mean i i think we need to talk about it i think we need to be aware of it and we need to figure out ways to uh, you know, decrease the potential impacts um, in the future because we know it's going to happen. And that's one of the great things about Bitcoin is we have a very clear monetary policy for, you know, another 100, 140 years or until 2140. So another 120 years uh, that will have uh, the inflation rate is is set and very predictable. And, you know, that's amazing for being able to plan for businesses and for for merchants for for users of the currency um and for how to actually you know prepare the network for this eventuality and you know that's that's going to include making sure that we develop a fee network and that's why the the fees spiking in during the 2017 bull run was a, an important test and important information that we got uh, about about the Bitcoin network. The the fee market worked, and people still used Bitcoin. Um, and you know, you could still, if you wanted to get your transaction in at a at a lower rate, you just had to wait. Uh, that was your that was the choice that you had. Um, and yeah, it messed up a bunch of people's business models uh, that were based on an, a misunderstanding of what Bitcoin is. Um, and we all learned that Bitcoin is not uh, a replacement for Visa. It's a replacement for central banking uh, at the base layer anyway. And so, yeah, I, I think um, I think the development of the fee market is going to be very important. And this might be a good segue into into small blocks because that's sort of it's all tied in together. Uh, 
you know, the argument for small blocks is that we need we need to uh, force smaller transactions uh, onto the second layer and save the base layer for aggregated uh, transactions of, of channel closings and openings and and large settlements and uh, very important transactions, larger transactions like purchasing of, of large assets or deals between uh, corporations or governments. And that that kind of the, that value, those that large value, uh, large value transactions on the main chain will generate a lot of fees because you know it makes sense to if you have a you know ten billion dollar transaction between two nations or two corporations, uh, what the you know a fifty thousand dollar fee is nothing, um, but that's you know going to help pay for the security of the network. So yeah, yeah I'm and, not, go, go ahead, ahead. No, you were talking uh, about. Yeah, I was just going to say um, it's important to about this inf the inflation. It's important to realize that uh, the inflation attack is not going to be obvious, I think. Um, it's going to be masked in a real danger. And so uh, at the time, we're going to be all worried about, just like they do in the real world, right? They, they manufacture some crisis and then they have the solution for us. So. Um, they're going to manufacture some crisis and they're going to come to save the day with this inflation. And it's going to be much, much harder when we have most of the world using this because, um, uh, you know, our small voices aren't, aren't going to, you know, our culture isn't going to uh, translate to uh, 5 billion people or something. So um, I think it's important to think about that uh, in, in respect to the inflation attack, uh, that's that's one reason why I think that like Ethereum, uh, when I talk about Ethereum and like their monetary policy, we have no idea what it's going to be. Um, and they could just have much higher inflation in the future because all it would take would be like Vitalik Buterin saying, hey, I think there's this big issue. I don't want to raise the inflation rate, but it's the only option we have. And, you know, there's going to be some event in the future that we have to do this. So we might as well do it now. You know, kind of uh, it doesn't feel like an attack. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so this this instance at the Satoshi Roundtable, obviously, it was it was an innocent discussion, but uh, it does make us think about the future, I think. Yeah, I don't think for me, it's it's not about whether. It's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, the inflation. Like, for example, you know, rampant inflation is bad. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've got a hard cap with zero inflation. And it may be that a really small inflation rate would be a better answer. But it just, it just doesn't matter. Uh, the thing about Bitcoin is that as soon as we change that monetary policy, it fails. The whole point of it is that it has a clear unchangeable monetary policy. We, everyone who's ever bought Bitcoin knows the rules, knows what they will always be and knew what they were buying and they're not going to change. And if we're just going to all of a sudden change that, well, then we'll just change it again and again and again. And, and all of a sudden it snowballs. Like I don't, I, if, if we need to do that, well, I'd rather Bitcoin just fail than we start a new coin that uh, is better. that has that solution built into it. It just won't be Bitcoin. I mean, yeah. you, you could even, I think you could even, you know, find a way to create that coin as a side chain or um, like some kind of, some have a, somehow have it pegged to Bitcoin and, and still having like uh, 
the absolute hard cap asset underlying, you know, a, a small inflation coin that's intended to be used as a as a payment coin as a as a currency. Uh, it would would be better than inflating the the base money, you know. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I just economically speaking, like the arguments for uh, like a like a, a society built on sound money uh, are, are pretty convincing. Uh, and and the examples that we have from history of stretches that. Uh, where, where human societies were able to maintain a sound money, uh, which you know doesn't ever seem to last very long, just because the temptation to print money is is too great for humans to resist. Uh, the, those societies were pretty impressive in terms of what they were able to accomplish, and uh, just uh, from from human ingenuity and creativity, it, it rewards value creation in the fairest way that we've you know that we that we could know of, basically. Yeah, I think it could still do that if, say, uh, the Bitcoin's inflation rate was, uh, say, it went down to what it will be at like 2060, uh, where you're, you know, I think I looked that out once. It's less than point, less than point zero one uh, per block. So very, 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 very small percentage-wise. By that, it's so negligible. That wouldn't have necessarily been a bad idea. Maybe that'd be good. It just ensures sort of. Uh, guaranteed reward to secure the network moving forward, no matter what the fees are. There is something in the code that says, secure the network, you get something. Maybe that's okay. But again, it, it's just not how Bitcoin was designed. I don't think we need to add it. Well, I, I think that, uh, that that's vulnerable to attack because if you have a coin with a little inflation, you just have to make a coin with less inflation and yeah. everybody will switch over to it, you know, so you can't get better than fixed. And so it takes all of that uh, attack vector away. But I agree that the thing that we need to concentrate on right now is that you just cannot change it. Uh, that's very, very important. Um, about the small blocks, uh, <laughs> Brady touched on that. I, it's just never going to happen. I don't know why people are talking about it. Um, I know they want to make it like uh, the same argument with the inflation. It's, they want to make it, uh, you know, more obvious that miners are going to have an income in the future, and it also would push uh, people towards the Lightning Network. But I remember when when this whole block size debate was happening, and like. You know, you think, oh, maybe it would have been better for Satoshi to put that hard cap at two megabytes instead of instead of one or four. Like, but one megabyte just seems to be such a good freaking number, right? It's like half a million transactions a day, and that's about what you need to be like a central bank type layer. Mm -hmm. And uh, anything smaller would be too little, and anything too big would have. Um, you know, not stimulated the layer twos uh, in, in a good enough time. So I, it's just amazing how I, I am just every time you turn around and you look at something else that was built right from the beginning, it's like you couldn't have made it any better. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. pretty amazing. And I, I think the consensus was uh, on the block debate, block size debate was not necessarily that 
uh, block size increase is not good. I don't think that that was the consensus. I think ins- the consensus was we don't want to change, right? So mm-hmm. I think you know I I think the same the same consensus is going to apply to the small block idea. There is there is one difference. It doesn't require a hard fork. It's a soft fork, and that's that's a big difference. Um, obviously, so three hundred megabyte block is a that that uh, Luke Dash Junior put is a soft fork. Yeah, that's what I understand. Is that right, Ansel? It would be a soft fork, right? Yep. It's if it gets more restrictive, then it's a soft fork, yeah. right? Oh, hmm. Yeah, because because you're not uh, you're not. If you have a those that size of a block, a three hundred kilobyte block would still be valid on all the old right. on all the old implementations. Whereas a two megabyte, you know, uh, block right. size limit would not be so. Yeah, that makes sense. But actually, you know, they they could take that the other way and be like, well, if we make it smaller now, then it would be a hard fork in the future, right? If we ever wanted to increase it back to one megabyte. So, um, I don't know if anybody's saying that, but. I don't see any evidence that one megabyte is a uh, like if, if you're going to go slower, like, get the the reasoning why that would be a pertinent issue that we need to make it smaller. If it's just for fee structure, again, that's speculative. We don't know that that's going to be a problem. You're just assuming that if it's because of bloat that they're worried about, that, yeah. that, that we're going to have sinking issues moving forward. Again, I don't think one megabyte is so so burdensome that we are going to have that. There is a certain amount of technology that we see, uh, a certain amount of advancement in technology and in bandwidth and in, in hardware capabilities that certainly can keep up to what the Bitcoin network will grow at, at one megabyte. Per- I think that's a reasonable, that's already been debated, I thought. like I don't see that being an issue. Did you see what happened yeah. to uh, SV's blockchain? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'd like so to. They they like took the limit off of the op return. So I think in Bitcoin it's like forty bytes or something like that. But they took the limit. Uh, well, and then they moved it up to like two hundred bytes, I think. And or no, two hundred kilobytes. I don't know. Whatever. They made it really high. And so someone put some child porn on their blockchain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you open up attack services, you're going to get attacked, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. There's there's a, there's a thread here about the block size. So this is, I think, one of the concerns is that the the size of the chain, you know, and downloading the whole chain um, to run a full node. So right. sync download time, the sync time, yeah, is going to be is going to be too burdensome. I think that's Luke's main concern. Um, but if you look at the numbers, like, let's say we stay where we are now with a, with a, with SegWit and the theoretical four megabyte block weight limit, which in practice comes, comes out to be about 2.3, I think megabytes, uh, in like actual practical use. So if you have 2.3 megabytes in your full blocks, uh, max kind of SegWit size, uh, for the next 10 years, then the chain would get to be two and a half terabytes or so 10 years from now versus if we had it at 300 kilobytes, um, it would be like just under like 700 gigs. So it's, it's like, there's definitely a difference there, but Mm -hmm. it's not massive. It's like, it's not geometric, you know, it's like a two X, two and a half X difference. 
um, and you know, ten years of of uh, additional you know improvements in storage and bandwidth capabilities um, and infrastructure around the world. I, th- I think that's not a deal oh, yeah. breaker in my mind. No, five no. G, and then they have those micro SD cards now. Yeah, that it's getting down. What like is it thirty bucks for a hundred and twenty eight gig micro SD card? Yeah. So, it's uh yeah the this I don't think the storage will be an issue and the bandwidth definitely won't be an issue. I think that will outpace it by orders of magnitude. You said two two point three megabyte block was what you by right? Right. So that's that's assuming that you know you have ten years of full segwit yeah. size blocks. Yeah. Mm. I think it's even Which less is... if you do the math, right? Two two point three. There's a forty blocks in a day. Right times three sixty five times like ten. It's actually only like one point two terabytes. So if you assume to, if you assume an even two megabytes, just to make the math easier, that's like twelve megabytes an hour, two hundred eighty eight megabytes per day, or and about a terabyte per decade. So yeah, it's even less than that. Yeah, I mean, it, I have a terabyte hard drive, four year old laptop. Yep. Yeah, so it's it doesn't seem super burdensome, not worth another huge battle, you know. Yeah, we're 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 picking a fight over something that may or may not happen way down the road. It just doesn't seem necessary. These are things we should. Again, it's nothing wrong with talking about it. Certainly, don't need to fight about it. I don't think it needs a a, a Bitcoin implementation protocol or a BIP, whatever for that yet. No, the the fight's coming though, and. It, I think uh, a good lesson is that it's good to talk about it, um, but it's not. It ain't happening. <laughs> nah, ain't happening. Ain't happening. Yeah, it's a good thing that uh, consensus rules are hard to change. That's a good thing, and that that brings up another interesting topic: is the idea of ossification. That that Bitcoin will truly be decentralized when it's just not possible to change anymore. Yeah, well, I, I've I've had this conversation with on Twitter for years, and um, one guy had a good point that because I always compared it to um, TCP/IP, and um, he's like, "Well, IPv4 is going away, right? They're they're hard forking to IPv6 eventually, and probably within the next decade, it'll finally be over, and we'll all be using IPv6." And uh, that, that's, that's a good argument that Bitcoin might have to hard fork in the future. But uh, I don't know, it's different with money. Like we have different incentives at, to build a layer two to fix things um, in a different way. We don't necessarily need to hard fork. Yeah, I mean, the economy will develop. If Bitcoin stayed exactly the way it is right now, um, the base layer. Um, the economy would just develop in a way that uses it to it, its ability, its capacity, you know, its, its capability. Uh, and we would figure out a way to batch transactions and and uh, to the extent that we needed to and to get them all settled on, on the base layer. Um, and they would filter through the, the subsequent layers down to the base layer and, and it would get figured out, you know, it would, it would, it would, you could make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And if and if it for some reason didn't um, 
uh, work for everything. It could certainly be just that store of value thing, and maybe something else comes along to be the method of payment. I've, I mean, I don't subscribe to that argument, but I've heard people say it. I, I still think it, like you said, other layers and stuff will come in and fill the void for the things the base layer can't take care of, layers and side chains and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, we just need demand, right? Like, we we need uh, more people on the network and more transactions need to be building up in the mempool fees need to be getting higher. And then, you know, when that, if, if we had another situation like 2017, uh, lightning would be growing leaps and bounds every day at like 10% a day or something. And side chains would be kicking off. So, um, I, I went to the, there's a side chain explorer. Have you guys seen that? It's, um, I block stream. Uh, I'll, I'll find the link and throw it in the chat, but, uh, there's there's not very many transactions. It's it's seriously a ghost town over there on their what's their side chain called? Liquid. Liquid, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's I think it they have like ten transactions a day or something like that. So are they really big, get... big value transactions between exchanges, right? Um well I you can't I don't think you can see the amount that I right. remember. Um, but that's what their, yeah. like their, their customers are. I think they've signed up what a dozen yeah. or so of the big Bitcoin exchanges. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're still testing it out and they just kind of did it for, you know, they had it ready to launch. And so they put it out there for people to mess around with. But it, like I say, there's, there's no demand out there quite yet for that stuff because people can get on the main chain for three cents. So right. it doesn't yeah. really matter. But these are federated too, right? Liquid is a federated sidechain, i.e., uh, like centralized. Yeah, there's 15 block producers, I think, on Liquid, something like that. Hey, can I throw a curveball in here? Sure. Yeah, please. Okay, so like I said, I I really can't keep up with current events, but what's the deal with like mesh network transactions? satellite communications this kind of stuff does anybody like have i'm just kind of curious about that stuff because like some of the questions and things that were brought up is like say you're running a bitcoin on a satellite and then we were talking about the size of the uh ledger getting into the terabyte you know multiple terabytes and all this stuff say you deploy a satellite that's actually running bitcoin at all eventually that satellite has a lifespan and it's going to run out of storage space and say it's like a node operating in the bitcoin network this kind of stuff it's you're it's servicing some remote area where you know say in the mountains of Afghanistan, there's somebody that's like doing Bitcoin transactions on some kind of phone network. Like, I, I don't know if anybody's like into this kind of stuff, but it, like the stuff I did in the military, that's what it was all about. It was like, you know, multi-band radio encryption, this kind of stuff. So I'm kind of curious, like what the, uh, information is on like satellite communication and these like mesh networks and stuff like that. Can anybody uh, 
<laughs> yeah, there's, there's actually there's actually lots of cool stuff happening in, yeah. in both of those realms. You should follow at Grubles on Twitter, uh, and he actually at not Grubles, not Grubles, yeah, <laughs> at not Grubles. Grubles is uh, the screen name, and then at uh, Grubles the ad name. Yeah, um, and then of course there's the there's a whole Blockstream satellite system that covers the whole Earth now. They just added finally added the last satellite, so. The the uh, the blockchain is every time a block is discovered is being beamed back down to Earth by a satellite network right now, and you can receive it with. I, in fact, I just today received a what's called a, a low noise blocker, an LNB, which is just a little like seven dollar attachment. It's that little piece that goes on the end of a of a, a satellite dish, like a Directv dish, that points toward the actual kind of like dish shape uh, plastic piece. And I'm going to attempt to follow some of these online tutorials to, to get my old, this old DirecTV satellite dish that's on the side of my house right now, uh, not being used to receive the Bitcoin blockchain from space, which is pretty sweet. So that's happening. Um, and yeah, Ansel, you have anything else about the satellite network? And Yeah, so, well, for the satellites, um, Blockstream is running an API, so you can send... Uh, you can pay Satoshis on the Lightning Network to send messages through the satellite. And then whoever's hooked up to the satellite will be able to get that encrypted, I think it's encrypted message. Um, so there, that's not necessarily a Bitcoin thing. That's a API writing on the satellite. Uh, so that's, that's pretty interesting. But the mesh network stuff, um, uh, there's been a lot of, different uh, experiments around the world. I know somebody in Europe like went down into a World War II bunker under, uh, I don't know, 50 feet of concrete or something and was still able to hook up with a mesh network that was above ground. And, uh, but yeah, so in that, that case, what you would do is you would just sign a transaction on your phone and then you'd send a message uh, through that hotspot to another node. And then that node would transmit the um the transaction to the network so you can send it via sms but there's you know this this stuff is all totally experimental and people are just kind of messing around at this point to see uh, if anything really cool pops up and promising um but i've heard there's some limitations with the mesh network stuff uh like the radio frequencies that you use and and other things um aren't ideal. I, I heard a podcast with the Venezuela people cause they're trying to set up that mesh network down there in Venezuela. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very promising. And again, this it's so like cypherpunk and so Bitcoin, it's just these guys that are, you know, super tech and super nerdy and they're doing cool stuff. Uh, and they're going to change the world. The LN trust chain, just to kind of bring this whole thing full circle went through the Blockstream satellite system. So Samson Mao at Exilion on Twitter, who's works for Blockstream, he got the trust chain and then put out on Twitter that the next hop in the trust chain needs to go through the satellite system. And, and within, like again, which is just so cool, in less than an hour, uh, the CTO of Satoshi Labs in Europe, I can't think of his name right now, but um, Pav, Pavlov something, um, 
he submitted the invoice through the satellite system. And uh, so the trust chain, the, that lightning transaction went through the Blockstream satellite system, which is pretty sweet. Basically, that messaging service that that uh, Ansel was talking about. So he sent the lightning invoice and, and payment information through that messaging system that's on the Bitcoin blockchain. If you can, post some links. Thank you. Yeah, I posted a link to Not Grubles, um, and he's he tweets every day about it, so about his uh, satellite stuff. And then, yeah, I'll try to find a, a mesh network uh, link for you. So there's a Gotenna's in it, a network trying to do that set up mesh yeah. network, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's who. That's what the guy was using when he was in Europe and sending those transactions. Because I think the range is like 1.2 kilometers. I think so. That's. I heard an interview with the CEO. Yeah. Uh, a while ago now, I can't remember. I think it was a female. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. I, I, I can imagine it being. I mean, I'm I'm pretty out in the country, uh, so it, it's pretty hard to be anywhere where I can imagine it being useful out here, but in cities and stuff like that, it could become pretty prominent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Put a little, um, you know, a, a used cell phone or an old cell phone that you have samurai on and, uh, plug it up to your Gotenna and then have a little solar cell on it. Like one of those, uh, portable ones. And yeah. man, you could just, Oh, and then you hook it up to like a public Wi-Fi, say like in a pedestrian area or, uh, in any business, you could just hook it up to their Wi-Fi, and then you got this mobile spot for other, either other Gotennas to connect to and extend it, or the anybody you know that happens in that area can send it through that. That's pretty interesting. Going back to the uh, Casa note there, uh, Brady. One question I had about that: um, mm -hmm. it's a it's a Bitcoin. Uh, a full Bitcoin node as well, right? Correct. Yep. Full Bitcoin that node. Full, the full Bitcoin node, you can uh, make uh, public and 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 open. Uh, so you're not. It's not just your own private node, just just for sending and broadcasting transactions, but it, it'll actually. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, you know, like be a public node. Yeah, you can. There's there's literally just a little switch that says uh, accept except inbound connections. So you can flip that switch on or off. Uh, whether, and, you, and depending on your router, you might need to do a little bit of port forwarding settings, which yeah. is like five minute job. Uh, and there's walkthroughs to do it just so that the traffic knows where to go. But yeah, you can allow incoming connections and be a, a publicly reachable Bitcoin node with the Casa node as well. Yeah. Well, that, that's perfect. That's amazing what, what that can do for Hey, Brady, what are they doing? What's the UI like for the public versus private uh, nodes and channels? Uh, yeah, so on the Lightning node, the channel management is split into two sections. There's the autopilot section, so you just kind of turn autopilot on or off, and you can click in there to see what channels the autopilot has opened. So I am actually running that, and you can you can set some parameters for your autopilot to follow. So you can say, like, I want a maximum of X number of channels, and I want each channel to have a maximum of X Bitcoin, uh, X amount of Bitcoin. And so you can you can kind of guide the autopilot in that way. Um, so that's in the autopilot section. And then there's a custom channel management area where you can just 
you know, open, uh, open, click to open a channel and you provide like four pieces of information uh, that are required to, to open that channel. And then the channel will open uh, when it takes about, you need to have at least three confirmations for the opening, uh, the, the channel opening transaction. So it takes, you know, roughly 30 minutes for a channel to open. And then depending on the node, because nodes can set their channel closing times, um, th that's different. I think it defaults to 24 hours maybe, um, but you can set it to whatever number of hours. Uh, so then when you close a channel, you wait th that number of hours for the channel to close and the Bitcoin will settle back to the blockchain on the closing transaction and then that Bitcoin will be available in your uh, Bitcoin node again. So that balance will transfer back to your, your Bitcoin wallet that's attached to your full Bitcoin node. And that time delay is for like, um, so you can, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You like challenge the closing so that they, they can't try to steal your balance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a part, it's a part of the con, the, the hash time lock contract that basically allows the other side of a channel to say like, um, you know, this attempt to close this channel is, um, is malicious or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. So if there's basically if there's like no response, then it'll uh, close at that at the end of that expiration time. Well, what about private settings though? Is there anything on there that? Because uh, I've I've heard that the the default now is private uh, channels. So it doesn't. Yeah, I broadcast, don't broadcast. Yeah, there's nothing in the UI about channel privacy yet. Huh. Okay. And there's there's some I mean they, they try to make it as simple as possible, um, so that I don't think they want to expose a lot of settings. But there are definitely uh, owners of the nodes that are, including me, that are pushing them uh, in Telegram and Twitter and on Twitter to, you know, allow to expose more settings and and allow us to have more control over the node through the UI, so you don't have to like get go go to the command line and and uh, adjust those kinds of things. So. Um, you know things like the the fee rate. Like I'd love to be able to adjust the fee rate uh, on my node um, from the default. You know, and little things like that that give you some more control. So I, I'm sure that will come and be exposed in the UI at some point. Um, I think they're just kind of slow rolling things out as people get used to the network. Cool. Well, we're we're over an hour now. Does anybody? And we've hit all our topics. Does anybody have any uh, closing comments? I could go round round the table one more time. What do you guys think? I'm probably going to go out and buy a Casa node just to like check it out. So <laughs> what are they like 400 bucks or something or they're 300 bucks. Oh, that's not, that's reasonable. So just to like check it out if nothing else. So thanks for the info. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. So yeah, we'll do that. Uh, Randy, do you have anything else? You just said something, but do you have anything else? Nope. It's good talking to you. Yeah, good meeting you. Uh, DT, do you have anything, uh, any closing remarks for posterity? You're muted. Here we go, here we go. Am I unmuted <laughs> now? Yep. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I think we covered a lot of your topics. Uh, great, we had a great, uh, uh, very, very 
concise discussion on lightning there. One topic we didn't get into discuss was um, that I, I think is important. And another huge thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the Quadriga CX uh, debacle that's gone on. Yes. Uh, that exchange. I, I mean, it, maybe it's a good sign. We're at the bottom. We have a big, huge exchange implode, which <laughs> uh, I think that I saw a shirt actually that said uh, Mount, uh, Mount QCX <laughs> with the Mount Gox logo. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's interesting, and I think we need to talk a lot about. Um, I, I think it's high time uh, that we get some sort of proof of reserves um, going on here, where where some exchange steps up and sets the bar high for transparency, and, and like like so high and so uh, every other exchange, if they just don't do it too, just won't have any customers, and and we can solve a bit of this this problem because it's really high time we do that it's trivial matter in bitcoin to be able to prove reserves and there's just no reason not to do it i'd like to see that happen going moving forward that's a whole nother discussion though <laughs> well just a uh, real quick on that one uh, we talked about that in my meetup here this weekend and uh jeff had a really good point jeff couldn't he had to go and pick up a, a friend, I guess that was having car trouble. So too bad he couldn't stay on the chat, but uh, he had uh, a good point. He said that, you know, he came from the poker world. So years ago when poker was just getting started online and stuff, um, these, these poker shops would set up a website and they start taking people's money, uh, planning to exit scam. That was their plan all along. But, they started making so much damn money that they just decided to stick with it and try to run a real good website. Um, it, that, that's an interesting game theory when you think about Bitcoin exchanges because they can make $5 billion a year like Binance did. Was it last year or 2017? So mm. um, it's, it's weird. It's like kind of weird incentives that... Uh, you know, you almost want to use the exchanges and, and you hold your coins on there almost because uh, like it gives them a reason not to exit scam. Does that make any sense or? Um... Hey, but if, if you look at Zappo, they show your public key and you can go there in your vault and see exactly how much you have. It, it's pretty cool. They do. They do some stuff pretty good. Yeah, Zappo is a good company. I mean, I, I hope things all get better for exchanges. I'm for exchanges getting a lot better like Zappo and adding insurance and stuff like that. So I, I hope in maybe three or four years they, they, get, they get really good. Well, it takes a little bit more than proof of reserve too because in this Quadriga situation, apparently they had the Bitcoin, right? So you would prove that they had it. But uh, oh. then how do you prove like – I guess you could prove it was in a multi-sig too – and they, like i don't know there's it's a little bit more than just reserves yeah oh uh, well right now uh, i mean i've been following the quadriga thing very very closely um, yeah unfortunately <laughs> but um they they do not have any proof that they have this bitcoin they have a sworn affidavit that that those bitcoin <laughs> exist and that we know that's worth so yeah right now there is no proof. in fact there's been some some chain analysis done uh, from a few different companies right now. And so far, none of them have actually been able to locate the cold wallets and have concluded that in their opinion, it appears that there are no cold wallets. There is a ton of, a ton of evidence that the 
that either a major, major person on their exchange or a customer on their exchange, but quite possibly Quadriga itself was actually sending a, a, a huge amount of the money onto various exchanges, all such as Bitfinex, Bitstamp, Poloniex, um, and storing it there <laughs> on other exchanges as they're. <laughs> Which again, I don't know now. What what's interesting is that once it gets to the other exchanges, there's really no way to tell if it was withdrawn from there. So right. maybe it was was a big exit scam, or if maybe that money's all sitting there. Which is uh, for the Quadriga people is it probably a better outcome that maybe the the money is or Bitcoin is all sitting on other exchanges and will be accessible. It's better than the official story, which is. Uh, the owner died and was the only guy with access to all the yeah. cold because that would be a disaster. That would just be terrible. <laughs> Which I is- think it, I think they said it was a uh, Kraken that had uh, Jesse Powell contacted the Canadian FBI, whatever the equivalent is up there, RCM- and- RCMP or a Royal Com- Canadian Mountain. Yeah, yeah, and he con- contacted them and said that uh, they had several Quadriga accounts. So, uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good news thing. It's better that he was died without leaving any access to the keys for the creditors anyway. Um, but it's still just this terrible business practice. (laughs) It's just not, not the way it should have been done at all, which is sad because that was Canada's largest exchange. Yeah. Uh, Even now the volume on Kraken pales in comparison to what uh, Quadriga was running. So, Yeah, at its peak anyway. Right now, is obviously off. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Brady, do you have any closing words for us? Yeah, I just I did just post a uh, link in the chat about a tool that Blockstream just released uh, just a week ago, um, just in time for Quadriga, <laughs> or not not in time for Quadriga, but just in time for all the talk about. Uh, proof of reserves and as you said dt it's like it's you know trivial to do with bitcoin that's one of the great things about having a ledger that we all can observe and verify so um there's a tool that blockstream has has published and and i think it would be great to uh try to you know encourage or force or shame or whatever all the bitcoin exchanges (laughs) into using it yeah Um, yeah so yeah, uh, just thanks. This was a lot of fun. I've really been enjoying these chats. This was the second one, and and Ansel, thank you for making it uh, possible for us to do this and creating the space for us to do this. And uh, anyone who's interested in w- more talk about the Lightning Network trust chain, and we'll probably get into UASF and uh, some other, you know, big contentious uh, parts of Bitcoin history with Hodlinot. That uh, will be dropping on sometime Wednesday on the Citizen Bitcoin podcast. So you can check that out. Just search Citizen Bitcoin in your podcast app and you should be able to find it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining. Um, This, you know, this, uh, I want to build a community and get interaction with you guys. Uh, Being in Omaha, uh, it's a little bit smaller community here. Um, But by the way, Randy, where in uh, Florida are you, if you don't mind me asking? Tampa. Tampa, okay. I just went there last year, but uh we might be moving to Jacksonville actually. So Oh, okay. Maybe we'll meet up. I my aunt lives in Jacksonville, so Okay. 
I go up there once in a while. Cool. Is that because of all the snow, Ansel? Uh, <laughs> pushing you <laughs> Well, like we talked about last time with the the solar stuff. Uh, yeah. So the grand solar minimum, and I've been saying for uh, over a year, maybe two years, that it's going to get colder and colder. And yeah, then this winter is really hitting us hard. So my wife, she uh, applied for a job down there and looks like she's going to get it because I think she's overqualified for it. So uh, we would be moving the four kids and me and her down there to Jacksonville and having an adventure. Nice. Sounds fun. Okay. So here's a quick question. Is Bitcoin price going to touch the two thousands? <laughs> What do y'all think? I say no. No. Um, Bitcoin has not dropped very much at all, like just the tiniest bit below the 200-week moving average in its entire history. And we're riding along the top of the 200-week moving average right now. So uh, it it would take an unprecedented uh, break of the 200-week moving average for that to happen. So I I don't know. I mean, we've got so much... Uh, so much fundamentally bullish news and and uh, just developments to be encouraged about. Um, so I would be surprised, and if if it does, man, that's a it's going to be it, it's a damn good deal, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> buy the dip, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it could, but I don't expect it to last a terribly long time. I think we've kind of found our spot here. Did dip down. And then it would come back up. It, it would be that kind of convincing bottom people need to see to be comfortable again. I don't know. Um, it's very possible. I'm not counting it out. Yeah, I think in, on average, we're going to be sticking around this level for a while, four to six months. Um, over the next four to six months, we'll kind of be averaging 32 to 3,500. And that does it, Bitcoiners. For today's episode this was community chat number two thank you for joining um thank you for the participants that participated in the chat itself check out the show notes for all their links and things uh if you like to support the show go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support lots of different ways to support the show and sign up for the free report every friday lots of fundamentals and commentary on the news from myself we'll see you next time peace <laughs>